Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, this is Sean Illing. I write for Vox about politics and philosophy. And I'm Jamil Smith. I write for Vox about identity, culture, and civil rights. And we're going to be your regular hosts for Vox Conversations. Starting July 12th, Vox Conversations will be coming to you twice a week. I'll be your host every Monday. And on Thursdays, you'll hear episodes hosted by me. And from time to time, you'll also hear from other colleagues at Vox and beyond. You'll still be hearing interesting, deep conversations with smart and talented people with all sorts of different areas of expertise from diverse fields and backgrounds like you have been all year. But you'll get more of them. And these episodes won't be generic, run-of-the-mill interviews. They're going to be conversations. Sean and I are going to bring some of ourselves to each discussion that we bring to you. Yeah, that's part of what we think makes Vox Conversations a different kind of podcast. So maybe we should get to know each other a little bit. Sure. So, Jamil, I kind of know you, but I don't really know you yet. So I'm actually... (laughs) genuinely curious uh, how you came to be a journalist. Did you set out to be one or did you, like me, stumble into this profession? (laughs) Uh, Somewhat. Yeah. I would say, you know, I was brought into journalism, I think, you know, very early. I was a 13-year-old kid who wanted to write for the school paper at Shaker Heights High School. And I'm writing for the paper um, and I'm understanding the value of journalism, but it's very kind of impersonal at that point. And then when I was 15 years old, my cousin was murdered and he had been missing for a long time. And, you know, when I didn't see anything in the paper about him, any kind of mentions, obituaries, no, hey, you know, we're looking for this guy, nothing. Um, I, I said to myself, you know what, I have to tell the stories of people who are not getting their stories told. And I know this, it sounds like a very ennobling thing to do, but it's honestly something that empowers my work. And I'm trying to, you know, make sure that the underrepresented, like Andre, have their story told. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm. Someone has to decide whose story gets told and who doesn't. It really matters. And that's why it's important that people with diverse experiences be in our business. Because, yes, yeah. I mean, I followed the, you know, <laughs> you know, good school to an Ivy League college, 
uh, route. And, you know, people may look at that, you know, sort of on paper and say, well, you know, how would he know about anything? And it's true. There's a lot I don't know about. My parents grew up in the projects. I have no idea what that was like. But I do this work so I can listen to people. Like that's part of what conversations are, man. It's not just us talking. It's us listening. Yeah. Yeah. I was a columnist in college and I just like everything that's going on with this guy named Barack Obama, who was running for president for the first time. And I said, you know, gosh, I, you know, I just, I would love to be able to write about this stuff. And I was encouraged uh, by my loved ones to start a blog. And I started a blog that no one was reading. <laughs> and uh, one of the folks who uh, followed me was uh, one Dr. Rachel Maddow. And mm. I, uh, very long story short, I ended up uh, as a member for production team. I was also writing for her site. So that helped introduce me back into the dream of, you know, that 13-year-old who wanted to be a columnist at the New York Times. What do you care most about as a writer and a thinker and a citizen, really? I care most about people being critical thinkers about the world around them. I care about having intellectually honest conversations and debate. I don't care about agreeing all the time with people. That is not something I actually hope to do. Ever since I you know, had this college column at the Daily Pennsylvanian, I've always wanted to inspire debate, to get people thinking about what's going on in the world, what we can do better, uh, specifically in this country. I mean, think about how unfinished America is. We have to continue to make changes, alterations, and rethink the institutions that have been built around us so that they can better serve us. And so I believe very strongly that there are fundamentally good ideas at the heart of the American experiment, articulated <laughs> now and then by very flawed people. And that's fine. Like we can get through that if we work together and we listen to one another. And that's the thing about conversation. It's not simply about the person speaking. It's about the person listening. And we have to be active listeners. I'm not an overly optimistic person when it comes to, you know, <laughs> turning the clock back on injustices. But I'm not going to be a pessimist. Um, I, I think a lot back to that James Baldwin quote. Um, I can't be a pessimist because I'm alive. I'm here. And so while I'm here, I'm going to try to do everything I can to make sure that people understand the problems of the world and how we can confront them. Mm. Well, Sean, I'm just as curious about how you got started. Having read you uh, for a long time, how did you first, you know, come into journalism? How did you develop the passion for interviewing and for conversations that you have? Well, I, my road to journalism was very weird and winding. And, you know, I went to graduate school. I wanted to be a professor. I taught politics and philosophy for a couple of years, but it didn't work out the way I had hoped. And if anyone out there knows anything about the academic job market, that requires no further explanation. So like you, I actually had started a very dumb blog back in... <laughs> 2015 at the uh, encouragement of my wife or then girlfriend, now wife, you know, I was living in Louisiana and basically all I did there was dunk on Bobby Jindal, who was my objectively terrible governor at the time, <laughs> mostly about politics. And I was writing a lot. I mean, it was really just blogging. Mm. And then one day I got an email from 
Ezra Klein about an interview writer's position at Vox. And I had no idea what the hell an interview writer position even was. Do you do interviews or do you write? What's the difference? <laughs> but, you know, what I told Ezra the day I interviewed for this job in his office, and I told him, I'm probably not even qualified for this position. In fact, I know I'm not qualified for this position. I'm not really a journalist. Um, I've just been kind of playing one um, on the side for a year <laughs> or so. But I told him I'll learn and I'll do it the only way I can. And, you know, I think that's as true today, you know, four and a half, five years later as it was then. Weird as that may sound. What I try to do, what I've always tried to do is approach this job with as much doubt and, and curiosity as possible. You know, I, I came, you know, from the world of ideas. I was a political theorist. You know, that, that's, what right. I, that's what I studied. And, you know, that's kind of how I approach basically everything I talk or write about. I mean, there's the thing we're talking about. And then there are the kind of deep, abstract questions floating above and beneath that thing or those things. And I'm trying to get at that. You know, sometimes I succeed, sometimes I fuck it up, but that's my goal. That's what I try to do. Yeah. What did you learn about interviewing when you started that job that you didn't know before or maybe something that surprised you? I learned how to listen. For a lot of my life, I, I was a much better talker than I was a listener. And I think that was a real handicap in all kinds of ways I never realized or recognized. And, you know, once I started getting paid to talk to people, I learned how important it was to, to listen because if you don't listen, the conversation is flat and dead and you miss a lot of opportunities. You mentioned that you were teaching. How did your background help prepare you for this particular career step? You know, that's interesting. I, I'm on the left. I don't hide that. Anyone who follows my work knows that, you know, but I'm also annoyingly heterodox and a lot of my political views. I mean, I, I try as much as possible to not be a prisoner of dogmas. And I think I'm a little skeptical of elite consensus. I'm not totally sure why that is, but I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that, you know, I grew up in the deep South. I grew up in Biloxi, Mississippi, all the way down on the Gulf Coast. This is as red as red <laughs> states get. I went to shitty public schools. I was mostly a terrible student. Uh, I was constantly in trouble. I eventually you know, joined the military when I was 18 to kind of reboot my life because I was hmm. sort of careening out of control. Um, and I say all that not because I, <laughs> I presume anyone really cares, but I, I do think it informs who I am as a journalist um, in probably all kinds of ways. You know, I hope that my experiences give me some kind of perspective that is maybe um, a little underrepresented at this level. And I brought that to, you know, the classroom and I hope I bring that to, you know, my writing and, and, and my interviews. Speaking of which, I know that you have been hosting this podcast uh, for some time now. Yeah. As the new guy, <laughs> I would love to know how is this podcast different than other interview podcasts? <laughs> well, look, I don't want to be an asshole and say it's the best. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. And also, yeah, I don't think like that. I mean, to the extent that it's different, it's different because we're hosting. And, you know, while the show has never been about me or the shows I've been on have never been about me, mm -hmm. I bring my whole self to it. And something I've tried to do is model vulnerability and openness. You know, there's a tendency to perform these things on a show like this. And I hope to not do that. But I'm also interrogating 
You know, um, I don't want to preach. I want to probe. I want to have hard, good faith exchanges. And sometimes, you know, that'll lead to uncomfortable places. And that's good. If I have someone on the show I disagree with, the presumption is that there's something to learn from that person. And that's what I'm looking for. And when there's disagreement, well, there's disagreement, you know. But the guiding principle for me, really in my life, um, is that I'm never entirely sure, really, uh, about anything. Mm-hmm. And so even my strongest convictions are always floating on a shaky foundation. I don't try to hide that. I hope that comes through in the show. Yeah, it sounds like to a large extent what you're talking about is vulnerability and yeah. the need for both subject and interviewer, uh, or I guess, you know, in this case, both conversationalists to have vulnerability, to exhibit that and to know what you don't know. That's actually one of the best things about journalism is that they pay you to learn. <laughs> and and it's amazing isn't it it is great i mean you know and you don't have to be in academia <laughs> it's, uh, it's <laughs> i'm sure you're relieved about but you just have to write better <laughs> <laughs> oh my mother's a professor so i won't uh, go Ooh. on the record about that one um i definitely think that it's absolutely vital i think it's vital for really any human relationship to have vulnerability to to be open to take a risk that you could be I guess either wrong, humiliated, shown up. I mean, all the kind of different things that we don't want to experience. We have to make sure that we're available for that if we're going to have a an open conversation where we might actually learn something. Yeah, you know, when I started this, I was very self-conscious and I really wanted to be seen as smart and clever. <laughs> that gets in the way of of that kind of honesty and, and, and vulnerability that that we're talking about and as I've gotten a little more comfortable, I've, I've let some of those, you know, neuroses go. And, you know, that's one of the things I love about doing a podcast. Where it's, it's okay to step in it sometimes. You know, you're not writing a 5,000 word fact-checked feature. You're just talking. And talking is, is awkward and, and clumsy. Um, but so is thinking. Right. And that's all right. And I, I mean, I love actually listening to people think. And if, if you can yeah. actually do that. I mean, it's, especially in the audio world, you know, long, awkward pauses are not something that people necessarily want to hear. When I've listened to this show and when I've just thought about what makes a good conversation, the key elements to me always are being present and being authentic. I just think that's something that's, that's, that's worthy of praise and, and, and recognition, uh, not disparagement. I want that person to take their time <laughs> and figure it out. So now that you're on board, Jamila, I'm curious, um, you know, what you plan to bring to your conversations that is distinctly you and yours. I think people who have read my writing understand that I approach subjects with a perspective, certainly, but also with an openness to learn. And I think back to an interview I did a couple years ago when I was a senior writer at Rolling Stone and I was an MC at the Chicago Ideas Week, sat on stage with uh, J.D. Vance, the author of Hillbilly Elegy, and now in Senate candidate in my home state of Ohio. And he and I disagree about a lot. Um, I didn't care for his book. (laughs) But me coming out there and telling him, look, J.D., I didn't like your book. I don't like your politics. There's there's nowhere to go from there. (laughs) That's not interesting even to me. Right. I've learned that that kind of conversation really serves the interviewer, I guess, in, in, in an egotistical sense, more so than it serves any audience. And 
I tried to approach it by acknowledging that we were two Ohio boys just sitting here having a conversation and lighten the mood a little bit, relate on a human level. Pretty much everyone you can talk to, you can find something that you can relate to one another about, and you can find something that that person knows that you don't. And that could be everyone from President Biden to Republican leadership to our foremost scholars to the man on the street. If you approach every conversation with the idea and the knowledge that you have things to learn from one another, even if you disagree, there's something for you to talk about. Mm, Yeah. Amen. And another thing I learned from that J.D. Vance experience is that gotcha interviews are pretty useless unless you're just trying maybe to get ratings. So I'm more into understanding whatever ideas this person who I'm speaking with has and whether or not I think those ideas are valid or substantiated. It's something for us to talk about. It's something for us to to engage our audience about so that they can go hopefully and take what they've listened to into their own lives and start talking with the people in their life about that particular idea. And if people are listening to this and don't talk about or think about what we've discussed in our conversations, then I think we haven't accomplished our mission. Yeah, I I totally agree. You know, gotcha interviews aren't just useless. They're also boring. And everything interesting comes from the collision of ideas, good and bad or otherwise. You know, even when I talk to someone who I think has bad ideas, and there will be many I talk to who I think have bad ideas, I think there is something useful to be teased out of colliding with that bad idea and challenging that bad idea and not challenging it from a place of of certainty, but challenging it from a place of genuine curiosity. And so as much as possible, you know, we'll try to be the anti-Twitter here and try not to have, you know, bite-sized conversations and really try to chew on on the ideas themselves, not the bullshit that tends to percolate around them. (laughs) Exactly. Now, there are ideas that are not productive, and I get that. You have to choose your time wisely. But I think it's really important that our audience stay curious. And I think that's on us to make sure that that happens. Yeah. Jamil, what do you think makes for a good conversation? Mm. I think the empathy has to be involved. I mean, I, I used to say to a friend all the time, he said, you know, when you know stuck in L.A. traffic and you look around at the people in their cars and some people are rocking out, some people are, you know, having loud conversations on the phone. Some people are just kind of sitting there bored and said everyone's having a different day and you don't know what a person is going through. You don't know what a person has dealt with. You don't know what they're enduring. Part of a conversation is learning about that, how it has shaped their viewpoint on the world. And why is that viewpoint something that we need to be taking note of? What about you? Openness, authenticity, curiosity. I think certainty is a conversation killer. A good conversation goes in surprising directions because the people involved are alive to what's being said and they're open to movement. Are you there to be informed or are you there to be affirmed? I think if you're in a genuine conversation, you're there to be informed, to listen and learn, not to just win, win a debate or score point in a debate. So what are you planning? What do you think we can tell the audience what to expect over these next few weeks? You know, um, I hope to have hard conversations, weird conversations, fun conversations, surprising conversations you know some shows will be heavy some will be light but you know my aim will always be to to find the deeper questions animating the broader conversation and 
ideally we will very rarely land in a place of certainty because the biggest questions, the most interesting questions don't admit of simple answers, but we can learn a lot by exploring all the possible answers. We have lots of like really interesting people coming on, thoughtful people from you know, Fareed Zakaria to Liz Brunig to Michael Pollan mm-hmm. or many, many others. Um, yeah. Those are just mine. You've got, you've got a whole catalog of great guests yourself too. Yeah. yeah. KSA Lehman, Chris Bosch, Larry Krasner. Yeah. Right. So I think we're going to do our best to make those conversations fresh and distinct and, and most of all, not boring because boredom is the only unpardonable sin in this business. <laughs> so yeah. we will not commit that. What about you? What are you thinking? I mean, to me, the key to making sure that you avoid boredom is to have some fun with it. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel like I'm about to have some fun talking to people who, you know, some of whom I've always wanted to talk to, quote unquote, but I've also, some people I've never really thought I would ever have a chance to talk with. So we're going to explore things that sometimes are deep and dark and terrible, but at the same time, shine some light in there as well. I can imagine if I'm going to talk to the Philadelphia district attorney about crime and wrongful convictions and mass incarceration. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a really heavy listen, but at the same time, just know that we're also going to have some fun. (laughs) There will be some laughs of, there will be some lighter moments because even in these moments of despair that we're dealing with in this new cycle, there's still moments where we can all relate to one another in ways that maybe we didn't anticipate. And that's honestly what I'm going to be going in search of. Absolutely. I mean, I, I went into philosophy instead of science, um, both because I suck at math and also because <laughs> I'm just genuinely more interested in the questions than the answers. <laughs> I, I always yeah. have been. And, you know, I invite people to, to listen to the show and, and to listen to me ask as many questions as I can and, and follow the many potential answers wherever they lead. Yeah. Be sure to subscribe to Vox Conversations wherever you get your podcasts. And look for new episodes starting July 12th. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.